time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 44 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens, more chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And kiss them too. Don't forget. Today we're brewing coffee from Stumptown Coffee Roasters in Portland, Oregon. It was a gift from our dear friend Ellen at Fab Four Hens. Holly, I what flavor of coffee are we brewing today? It's creamy and caramel, and I'm going to drink it all. It's really good. It's amazing. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. So, fall is here. It's nice, cool nights. Love it. It's been warm, though. Yeah, it has been warm. It's starting to cool down now. My sheep are happier. Chickens are happier. Yeah. I'm happier. It was still sticky. You know, today we were recording this. We went on Instagram Live. It yeah. was fun. I like going on Instagram Live and talking to everybody. But it, it was fun. hot. Yes. This is dropping two weeks later. So I'm assuming when we record this that it's going to be <laughs> nice and cool. I'm yeah. projecting it ahead. Let's project it. Anyway, so <laughs> we're just going to talk about a few little things. Like we actually have more time to work. We do. And it's been really exciting. We got a lot of work done mm-hmm. this week. We have some extra days. The little mini helper is going to the little school. I know. I know. So it's more days for us to do research and we're working on another project. It is. And she'll still be here multiple days during mm-hmm. the week, but we still have extra days. Yeah, it's great. So she was missing her chickens, but had fun at the little school, as she calls it. And this week, we were able to get together and get some really good work done. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to talk about is, I don't know if anybody saw our Instagram post, but Gertie went to a brewery. She did. (laughs) Gertie's doing phenomenally well. Gertie is doing great. Again, thank you for all your well wishes. She had the time of her life. Yeah, she really did. She, She just enjoys people now. Within 30 seconds of pushing that stroller into that brewery, she was mobbed. Well, it's a really nice way to educate people about chickens in a fun way, you know. Oh, I love she chickens loved it. I love companions. It. I think she's like probably all over Instagram and Facebook no, and she didn't even know it. She probably is. Yeah. So many people asked to take their picture with her. They wanted to pet her. <laughs> and so many people were like, I've never touched a real live chicken before. Yeah, people are shocked. Uh, the first thing they often say is how soft they are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Their feathers are so soft. So Will they bite me? Yeah, they think they're mean and they're not. Yeah. It was a great way to educate people. Mm-hmm. And I think I have to do it more often. I mean, she's doing so well. So once a week, maybe taking her somewhere. Gertie is the pet chicken ambassador. And I, I love, love Independent Brewing's sours. They're so good. Nice. So yeah, I'll go sit there with Gertie and have a drink. Absolutely. Let me just take a minute to ask a favor of everybody. If you're listening to our show and loving it, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for our show. It really helps the podcast grow. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can visit our Etsy shop. We have a few logo mugs left and some of our great t-shirts, the t-shirt ship free. You can also visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of membership. You can go over there and see what benefits you get. Check it out. And thank you to our newest patrons. Yes, thank you so much. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. From now until the end of September, you can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners, CWTCL25. For 25% off your first purchase, you can follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. 
If you haven't heard, Grubly Farms has a brand new layer of crumbles food packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Plus, they're the perfect size for bantams and all products ship free. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL25. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You cannot go wrong with these chicken teas. They are so soft and so cute. In the September box, I absolutely love the rooster socks and the can of grasshoppers. It's amazing. I really love the iron trivet. I'm going to use it for all my entertaining, and I've got to keep the girls away from those chick notes for sure. Yeah. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. To receive $5 off, use the code CWTCL at checkout. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so it's about that time that we do our breed spotlight. Yeah? Yeah. That's a magnificent intro for a magnificent chicken. Yes, and it is the Australorp. Okay, so we saved a pretty popular chicken for down the road, which I like that we've done this because the popular ones we put all basically in the first few episodes. Yeah, a lot of our favorites. Our favorites because we wanted to do all the research on them. And this is one that's a lot of people's favorites out there. This This is definitely a very popular chicken. And in fact, our upcoming guest has an Australorp yes, in her she flock. she does. Mm-hmm. So the gorgeous Australorp, which is also the Australian Black Orpington. So everyone think about this. They're basically called the Australian Orpington. Right. There's a lot of legend behind how the name came about. Right. But essentially, it's a contraction of Australian Black Orpington. Some people say Australian Black Utility Orpington. Right. They were created principally for egg production. Okay. That's a part of the puzzle and the part of the story that I didn't know before researching this. I had somehow in my brain put the Astrolorp alongside of the Orpington with egg light. Right. So I did not know that they are master layers. I knew they were good layers, but not the way apparently they lay. Yeah. There are several vague accounts of the origins of the Astrolorp. So we've really done our best to weed through all of this and put together the story for you from the most reliable accounts and sources that we could find. Right. Now, back in episode two, we talked about the development of the Orpington in England. One of my favorites, yes. Right. That's why it's number two. So the Orpington, again, was developed in England in the town of Orpington by a breeder named William Cook. Exactly. And the first Orpington color variety that he created was black. Okay. And it was some of these black birds that were imported into Australia in the late 1800s. Australia was a little behind in getting started. Right. Australia started as a penal colony. Exactly. So, So the Livestock Conservancy notes that about this time, the English breeders were trying to refine the Orpington into a meat bird. So unlike the English, the Australians wanted to concentrate on egg production. So they were going in a different direction exactly. with, with the Orpingtons. And to do this, what they did was they crossed the Black Orpington with actually some of the foundation breeds that went into its early development. Right. So the Menorca, mm-hmm. the White Leghorn, the Langshan. So they basically went with some Mediterranean breeds to try to get that egg-laying right. gene in there. And the Asiatic Langshan, I'm not sure what that added besides gorgeous feathers. 
Yeah, because they will go broody. Right, right. <laughs> I know. And one of the goals of the Australians was to breed out the Orpington's broody tendencies. It's what makes the Orpington an Orpington. Exactly. Yeah. So from about 1902 to about 1924, so this chunk of 20-some years, the Australorp took part in a whole bunch of egg-laying contests that were held in Australia. My mind was blown the other day when we were talking about this. Right? It's fascinating. The first contest was held by an Australian agricultural college. Okay. And Australorp hens took seven places out of the top 13. So more than half of the top 13 winners were Australorp hens. Right. In another contest, there was a team of six Australorp hens. And over a one-year period, these six hens laid 1,857 eggs. That's just over about 309 eggs from each hen. Amazing. Amazing. Never knew it. And then the Livestock Conservancy website also notes that the Australorp currently holds the world record for laying eggs. Okay, now wait. This actually needs a drum roll. (laughs) Okay, let's give this one a drum roll because this is amazing. An Australorp hen laid 364 eggs in a 365-day period. That needed mega drum roll. Maybe she had off for Christmas. (laughs) She had Christmas Day (laughs) off or her birthday, something. (laughs) They're like, you could take one day off. It's okay. It's okay. I never knew that they were the star layer that they are. It makes me look at them in a different light I did know that they were good layers, but I did not know that they laid this way. I guess in my brain, I'm just thinking Australian, Orpington, everything about the Orpington. Now, I always thought they were lovely, but I'm a Jersey Giant girl. And so I always had my Jersey Giants. Those were my black chickens. And I really didn't have that much interest in the Australorp. Yeah. So the Australorp was a great success as a smaller bodied dual-purpose chicken that was truly a champion layer. And news of these record-setting hens had traveled to the UK and the US. And so the Australorps started showing up in both countries during the 1920s. And they're like, give me these egg-laying hens. Exactly. So the Australorp is a medium-bodied chicken. Right. Glossy black feathers with that beetle green sheen. Yes. They have a moderately large straight comb and waddles. They look like a black orpington. They do. The roosters are very handsome. Hens are very pretty. They are known for their dark brown eyes. They have very dark brown eyes. They have a dark beak and they have dark legs. And unlike the Jersey Giants and the Javas, who have yellow on the soles of their feet, the Australorp has a pink, pinkish white sole on its foot. So if you're stumped whether or not you're looking at a Jersey Giant. Look at the bottom of the foot. Look at the bottom of the foot, right. Roosters are about eight and a half pounds. Hens are about six and a half. And there's a bantam version. (laughs) Are they a master egg layer? I, I guess so. I don't know. Maybe. And they lay brown eggs. They do. Mm -hmm. Large brown eggs. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is another interesting thing. As far as broodiness goes, I mean, we've heard several people, including our upcoming guests, say that their Australorps have never gone broody. Yes. But Fiona told us, she had several people tell her their Australorps had gone broody. And Kate at Maryland Farm Girl, we had her on because her Australorp went broody too. And hatched chicks. Yes. So it sounds like while broodiness is not a feature of them, every now and again, it pops out. Once again, you're starting with basically what they bred in in the beginning, but there's always some sort of modification going with it as it goes along. Right, right. You know, it's going to evolve a little bit. Right. Maybe at some point, some might have a little bit less egg laying, more broody. Well, they have that Langshan blood. Yeah. And Langshans go broody. Yeah. So in the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection, the Australorp is found in the English class. Mm -hmm. I had to look for it. Yes. It's in the English class. They were admitted to the Standard of Perfection in 1929. Now, in the United States, the only recognized color of Australorp is black. Yes, exactly. The Australian breed standard, though, allows for black, white, and blue. Ooh, I like to see a blue one. Yeah. 
The Livestock Conservancy currently lists the Australorp in the recovering category. That's another shocker. Great news. <laughs> yeah. They're very, very popular these days. Yes. Yeah. They're a great all-around chicken. They're good layers. They're beautiful. Yes. Unless you want a guaranteed broody hen, you can't go wrong with them. Yeah. So here's the question. Where do we get them? You can check, once again, Livestock Conservancy's breeder directory. Mm-hmm. You can check. Most hatcheries are going to carry yes. the Astrolorp. Yes. You can get smaller numbers on My Pet Chicken, which yeah. we said before, three seems to be their magic right. number. Once it warms up, they'll let you do small numbers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they're pretty readily available, and they're a lot of times available in your feed stores. Yes, I've seen them definitely in the feed stores. So, yeah. A heritage chicken, that is a really, really nice addition to a backyard flock. It is. And I've also heard that they get along just fine. Yeah, I've heard they're mild-mannered and that they have really nice personalities. Every chicken's an individual. Right. But their reputation is that they're friendly and cuddly. You know, I was thinking about the friendliness of chickens, how we define a chicken being friendly. And you and I have been making fun of the Fayumis lately because they're little wild (laughs) things, right? Uh, No, Delilah bites. Zara does not bite. Zara does not bite. Delilah, she came up to me the other day. Yeah. And she looks at you like she wants, it's like her thing. She's like, those big eyes, like, come yeah. in and hold me. And then she's like, I want to bite you. Well, that's where I was going with the friendliness because actually the Fayumis like people and they want to be, they, they're always around my they, feet. They want to be right. They were right up every time I've come to visit them. But if you try to pick them up, if you get too close to Delilah, she will bite. Oh, yeah. But the other thing they both do, Zara does this too, is you put a hand out and they both jump straight in the air. Wow. It's ridiculous looking. They just leap straight in the air. It's, it's <laughs> hilarious. Where I was going with that is we might say a chicken's friendly because they let us cuddle them. Right. But the Fayumis actually are very friendly. They just don't want to be touched. Exactly. And that's also another dimension of being friendly. Yeah. So, you know, if you had to intervene health-wise, you could handle them. Oh, absolutely. That's the most important part of handling. We handled them from the time they were babies. But there are a few chickens, even in our flock, that they're not the huggable chickens. My Swedish flowers are not huggable. Yeah. So everybody's different. That doesn't mean they're not friendly. Just like there are people that don't like to hug, too. Well, right, right. They're not my people, then. (laughs) Because you've always been a hugger. I'm a hugger from way back. But, you know, we do hug our chickens every day, but it's only chickens that want it. We don't force it on chickens that don't like it. But anyway, we have heard that Australorps are cuddly. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. It's about that time that we're going to have our main topic. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about this main topic jingle, but we're going to go with it. Okay. So today we have an extra special guest, our veterinarian, Dr. Rebecca, who treats our chickens, sitting at our table with us, drinking coffee with us. Welcome, Dr. Rebecca, to our show. Hey, thank you, guys. It is an honor to be sitting at the table here with Christy and Holly. And I've also had the privilege to treat Eclair and Gertie, and they're both doing fantastic. I saw Gertie, and she is just, gosh, she looks beautiful. Thanks to you, my little baby Gertie is rolling in that stroller. I think she's living her best life now. (laughs) I think she's like, I'm never going back there. She said, look, if they would just feed me more, this would be perfection. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to talk to Dr. Rebecca today about being a poultry vet. We're also going to talk to her about lead. Exactly. Just a quick intro. We told this story once before. So we were in the midst of COVID and Chrissy and I both came up with 
chickens with impacted crops. And I could not get any of my normal chicken vets to see Eclair. Right. So I was lucky enough that your regular vet, Chris, referred me to Pleasantville Animal Hospital, yes. which is the hospital that Rebecca and her family own. Yes, that's right. You looked at Eclair, and I could tell immediately that you loved chicken. And I was <laughs> sold. That was the first thing she said because I was on the phone with her you when I was sitting quit. in the parking lot. Yeah, she was we were talking the whole time, and she's like, she really loves chicken. I could tell. So, right, because we were curbside then. Yes, so you yes. also had to entrust her coming in like a lawn yes. and having me look at her. So mm -hmm. she is the most beautiful Brahma chicken, too. She, she's so yeah. gorgeous. Thank you. I love that girl. So pretty. So Pleasantville Animal Hospital is very close to Chrissy. It's in Falston, Maryland. In Falston, Maryland, about 40 minutes away from me. You're actively taking chicken clients at the time. That's correct. I would say at this point, I see almost a chicken every day when I work, and we're always taking new chicken clients. I recognize it's very hard to find a chicken vet, and a lot of these chickens need care pretty much when you notice that they're sick. So as long as I'm working that day, a lot of times we'll also try to fit in same-day appointment. We'll That's do. fantastic. We will have the contact information for Pleasantville Animal Hospital in our show notes. Yes. And Dr. Rebecca has her own Instagram page, which is Becca with Chickens. I will have that in our show notes as well. So you can follow Dr. Rebecca on Instagram. It's you an evolving page, so I hope to get uh, more chicken cases and just chicken tips and facts and stuff like that up very soon. Fantastic. We need that. Yeah. So we are going to talk about lead poisoning. And yes. the reason that this came up with both of us kind of goes all the way back to the initial crop problems. Mm -hmm. We gave the chickens a straw. Why did we do that? I don't know. My God told me not to, but it was so muddy and but we did it. Okay, so we gave the chicken the straw. Then we have two chickens with impactions. One who heals after the surgery yeah. and gets better and one who does not. We sat here and racked our brains and racked our brains multiple trips to the vet with Gertie. Right. Multiple medications with nothing getting better. And with all of our research that we've done, lead poisoning in chickens kept coming mm -hmm. up and kept presenting itself. It can cause crop problems. Correct. And I think it's something that is not really looked at a lot because we don't see heavy metal poisoning, I think, very often. And especially in cats and dogs, it's not something we really see. But the thing about chickens is they're very non-discriminate eaters and they will pretty much go after everything, as I have learned personally, too. <laughs> and lead comes in a lot of different forms, right? right? So it can be found in more solid forms, such as if people do any pistol shooting in their backyard, you're going to have lead pellets out there. I have also heard it can be found in older batteries. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I was looking at that today. I actually didn't know that, but lead batteries, sometimes I've read that fishing weights actually can mm -hmm. have lead. Oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So lead is still used in a lot of things today that we don't think about, but I think the other portion that we don't think of a lot about is the soil. So, and that's exactly. a little more sneaky because most people don't get their soil tested when they buy property or a new house. Right. So a lot of houses, if they were made with either lead paint is a big thing. A lot of that soil is going to be contaminated, even if all the lead paint has been removed. Mm -hmm. Another thing too, lead pipes were a big thing as well. Exactly. So, so there's a lot of past architecture things, even if that's all been torn down now, it still could be in the soil. And of course... Anything that grows out of the soil, all the plants will be contaminated. And I mean, that's what chickens do. They root around in the soil and They're constantly and in that soil. Eating I all was, those plants. I was chatting with my sister this morning. She and her husband have, I want to say it's an 18th century farmhouse in Freeland where I live. And she reminded me that old cars had leaded gas. 
And so if you have property where an old car sat and the leaded gas leaked out of it, that's another way for the oh, wow. gas oil. Uh, yeah, gasoline used to be a big one, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so, definitely. So we've done a great job so far of just in products we use today for human use does not really have lead exposure anymore. Mm-hmm. But it stays in the environment forever. I mean, lead is kind of, I hate to call it a nasty substance, but it really takes a very long time to degrade. And Mm -hmm. once it's in the environment, you're really not going to get it out. So it's something, again, not a lot of people think about, but your chickens can be exposed to it kind of low levels, but it accumulates over time. And that's the other thing that's kind of an issue. And that's what we kept reading about, you know, it shows up in so many different ways. And crop paralysis, basically. Yeah, crop motility is a lot of times what we'll say. So hypo motility, which basically means the crop is not moving as fast as it should. So things sit in there. Zinc can also cause some of the same things as lead. That's the other heavy metal we think about. I know we're not talking about that one today. And luckily, it's not as much of a human consumption issue since zinc is actually something that is in a lot of our diets just on a normal basis. Right. Lead and zinc are the heavy metals that a lot of times can affect avian species and cause health issues. Zinc can be found in galvanized materials, which mm-hmm. is a lot of stuff we use yes. outside yes. And, like in homesteading and farming. So any screws, nuts, bolts, stuff like that that's galvanized, chickens will eat those, trust yeah. me. And that's why when yeah. Gertie wasn't getting any better, we went to Dr. Rebecca we both actually said it at the same time, I think. Yeah, we're right there. We did, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people are worried sometimes about the price of lead testing for chickens, but it's not that expensive. It's one of those things, if you don't check for lead or zinc, you're never going to know it's there. And the wonderful thing about heavy metal poisoning is it's treatable. Yes. It's 100% treatable and you need a very special medication for it. So if you don't know, we're not going to be able to use the correct medication to make your chicken better. And you have experience with it. I sure do. So let's (laughs) tell everybody what happened and your story with lead poisoning and your chickens. Yes. So... I adopted my first flock of chickens about two years ago, actually. They just had their second birthday. So I was a little bit, I think, as we all are, a little bit of a naive, like, new chicken tender. I would kind of let them free range all over our property. We have a 10-acre plot up in Pennsylvania. And, of course, they loved the free range. They want to go out and they want to explore the woods. and That's amazing. Go in the gardens and the leaves and stuff like that. I am very fortunate that we never had any issues with predators because, I was a little lackadaisical. I'll admit about that. And my husband will always rag on me about that. But (laughs) fortunately, we never had any issues with that. But something that did kind of come up is we have an old stump in our backyard that we would put targets up and we would do target practice with that. So anytime you have any kind of ammunition in general is still all very much lead based because that's Mm -hmm. the cheapest way to do it. Oh, yeah. Aside, I think it's an environmental bad thing that we're doing, and I think that there's still need to be laws more made about getting rid of lead out of the environment, but I digress. So the leftover lead pellets would be kind of in the stump and kind of around the stump. And again, I never thought that they would want to go over there and that they would actually be brave enough to eat the lead pellets. They eat everything. But they eat everything. And again, that's something I know that now, but at the time, (laughs) there's no way they're going to eat that. So we did our best to keep them away from it. But of course, all it takes is a few little pellets and it can cause a lot of issue. Because again, when lead is in a pellet, that's very concentrated versus when it's in the soil. So what symptoms did they start showing? We kind of had a canary in the coal mine situation, I have to say. One of my sapphire gems, her name's Bombay. 
So she just started acting kind of off. I would just notice she wouldn't be as active. She would kind of sit by herself and just be fluffed and just Mm -hmm. kind of close her eyes for a few minutes at a time. And then she would kind of get back up and get going. But of course, I know that that is like one of the number one signs that something is not quite right. Oh, yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So I kind of watch her for a few days and I'm like, something is not right with her. I need to, fortunately, I have the ability to take her into the clinic and Mm -hmm. kind of evaluate what's going on. Something else that I did notice too, was that she was starting to lay these very soft shelled eggs. Oh, And yeah. So what I had noticed is soft shelled eggs. And then it actually kind of progressed into shellless, kind of just ugly looking, almost like lash eggs. Wow. Yeah. So that, of course, again, I'm like, that's an instant. This is definitely not right. Yeah. So I took her into the clinic. I did run some blood work and I did some x-rays. And as soon as I did the x-rays, I could see what was going on. And what I saw was a bunch of little metallic pellets in her gizzard. Lead poisoning first came on my radar a year or so ago. I read an article from Tufts University that was written in 2019, and it was actually outlining a lot of problems that community in Boston was having with their backyard chickens. And so they mentioned that it's a potent neurotoxin, but I'd never heard about the eggs before. It can definitely cause a drop in egg production in soft-shelled eggs. And the reason for that is actually lead can interfere with the metabolism of calcium. So what happens is you'll see a lot of the soft-shelled eggs or maybe no shell at all. And so something when you're treating a lead poison chicken, actually more calcium implementation into their diet is very important because they will not be able to metabolize it properly. Okay. Oh, wow. That's good to know. That's very good to know. Yeah, so okay. it is, it's a neurotoxin for sure, but it does a lot of different stuff. I yeah, because we're talking about Gertie and the crop, that it was mm-hmm. going to affect that. Talking sure. about soft shell eggs, lack of being able to metabolize calcium. Right. I forget what the mechanism is, but it also will can destroy red blood cells. So you can also anemia. see anemia oh, is wow. a big one too. I did not see that in Bombay. That did not present that way. But something that is always important to look for when you're mm-hmm. looking at blood work is is there an anemia present? Because that can point you towards a heavy metal diagnosis as well. I had a very easy diagnosis with mine because I kind of knew what the source might be. And when I took x-rays, if there's metal on an x-ray, it shows up bright white. It's the brightest white that will show up on an x-ray. So I saw it there. So I knew pretty much that's what it was. Mm -hmm. I did confirm it with a blood lead level. Her level came back off the charts. So oh, wow. the, uh, I think what they say the toxic level for lead is about probably anything greater than like 20, 25 micrograms per deciliter. Okay. Hers was, I actually, the first lab I sent it to, I'm not sure what hers was. All I know is off the charts. Yeah. Okay. And I did a few of my other chickens that weren't showing any symptoms at all, which is the crazy thing. Some chickens just have a big tolerance to it and they might not act sick at all. Okay. Of course, I panicked and that I literally took all 10 of my chickens at the time in my husband's truck. And we, on a Sunday, that's what we did. Is we x-rayed every single one oh, looking to see who else had eaten this. One of my chickens came back. I said the 25, I think, is the level that yeah. can become toxic. Hers was 860. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh so, my yeah. goodness. So and she was not showing any symptoms, which is crazy, right? So I can imagine the one that was showing symptoms was probably even higher than that. It was crazy to think that she wasn't being affected by it. And that's something that is also very interesting is that some of these people, if you are on an area where the soil might be contaminated, Mm -hmm. since they're so tolerant to lead, you might not have any idea unless you actually go and test because they might not show any symptoms. Exactly. Now, ducks are very sensitive to lead. So if you have ducks in your flock, a lot of times they will show symptoms at very low levels compared to chickens. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. 
So if you went and got a simple soil test, say from your extension agent, should that show the presence of lead on your property? Yes, I believe it would. I knew that ours was probably not the soil since our house had been built past 2000. So Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was an issue. But yes, you can get soil testing done and it should show if there's a higher than normal concentration of lead in the soil. So that would be a really simple first step for someone. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, if your chicken is not showing symptoms, you may or may not want to rush them off to the vet. But say you have an older house and you suspect lead paint in the soil. For that's sure. probably a really good first step. Well, yeah. You know, I'd say the other step is have the relationship with your veterinarian and call them and say, I'm concerned. Can I make an appointment for an exam and a lead test? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no one's going to bat an eye at that. It's a simple blood gurdy. Simple it blood was draw. two second blood draw from the wing. Yeah, they tolerate it very well, too. It's like 0.2 ml. Yeah, we don't need much to send off because they do lead testing all the time in parrots, too, because they eat a lot of metal objects. Okay. So usually the labs that are running these tests already recognize they're probably going to not have that much blood to work with. Yeah. So they're able to run it on a very small sample. And it's easy. But here's the thing. If you have something that's going on, it's another step to take. Right. To figure out what's going on. I would imagine if you have children... This is crucial. Yeah, yes. need to know. I think that's what's so important about lead and heavy metal in general is, yes, it can make your chickens sick, especially if they're exposed to it a long period of time. Mm-hmm. You can get those neurologic symptoms like the crop issues. Mm-hmm. Then you can also see paralysis. You can see liver issues. I mean, you can see all sorts of stuff. And then the rest of your flock could also, if they're all being exposed to the same thing, you could have a major flock issue on your hands mm-hmm. because the half-life of lead is so long. It's months. So the exactly. chickens will take forever to get that out of their system. But they are also depositing this lead in their eggs. So right. it's not only the chickens you should worry about, but you might you be consuming lead eggs. on a daily basis and the eggs aren't going to taste different or anything. No. It's, right. it's not the same levels as what's in the chicken's blood, but if they have significant levels, there's going to be a significant amount of lead in those eggs. Right. So with Gertie, she came back negative, thank God. And when you called me, you were like, I don't know if you want this. I was like, <laughs> I do not want this to be lead positive yeah. because then I all of a sudden I have 19 chickens. I'm worried about them in right. the soil. So yes. Positive. It would have been good to have a diagnosis, but not that diagnosis. Exactly. Yeah, because no. I can personally attest it is a huge headache. What we ended up doing with ours is since there were little metallic particles, I had faith that eventually they would get rid of them. Unfortunately, I was right about that. Eventually, they did all pass all those tiny lead fragments. Oh, good. Because there's something about the gizzard and chickens is just, it's such an amazing, I guess, machine. Mm-hmm. They are able to just crush things down into the littlest tiny yeah. particles and just pass them along. Otherwise, it's just going to sit in that gizzard, which is why we don't see a lot of times lower intestinal impactions in chickens because right. their gizzard just does a wonderful job mm-hmm. bringing stuff up. And if it doesn't, it will just sit there. We actually tracked them for a few weeks to get all of that lead out. Because the thing is, if they're also excreting in the droppings, they can re-expose themselves. Exactly. So we not only had to keep them all at the clinic for a few weeks. Oh, my God. We had to. That's when we decided we built a whole new area for them that's all fenced in and everything like that. So they're loving it now. But at the time, it was very stressful. Yeah. You had to keep x-raying them to make sure it was, I was moving through. I was looking at it today, and I forgot just how many x-rays over how many weeks we were taking of all that these is, chickens. You are one devoted chicken mama there, uh-huh. that's for sure. Yeah. And I don't top of that, of course, since the lead levels came back positive, we also were doing treatment, which is uh, chelation therapy with calcium EDTA. Can you tell us chelation? Yeah. Like what exactly? Sure I didn't about that. 
So a chelator is a substance that binds to heavy metals in the body and it makes them inert so that they can't exhibit any of those toxic properties. And then it is passed through the kidneys and it gets rid of the lead or the zinc. It works very well. So for my chickens, we were doing injections twice a day for five days. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and how do you give it in the muscle? You give it in the pectoral muscle. Okay. And the reason the x-rays were so important too is because as long as the lead is present in the chicken's body... Chelation will help keep the levels at a minimum, but until that lead's out, you have to continue treatment. So, okay. so did you important. start the chelation while the lead was still in? I did. So okay. I would give them like a few days break if I had to, but until all that was out, I was having to give them injections. Okay. And it works. I can say it, it did an amazing job. I wrote down some of the levels because we actually tested them afterwards because, of course, I was curious, like, how well did this work? The chicken that had the levels of 860 from April to June after the chelation therapy, we got her down to 51. Wow. wow. So it, it definitely works. And most of our chickens, we were able to get down to pretty much non-toxic levels nice. entirely. So that being said, all of the ones that had very high levels, we don't eat their eggs anymore. Yeah. So we do toss those because while it might, the risk at this point might be minimal, we have a lot of other chickens that haven't been exposed to it. It's mm-hmm. not worth it. Right. And of course, I'm the type of crazy chicken person. I know exactly what shape each chicken that I have. Yes. Like, the egg that they lay, it's yes. very consistent. Yeah. So I can tell who's this who. Yep. So exactly. we have a system. It was super stressful, but it was definitely a learning experience. I just have a question about the therapy. So certain breeds of sheep are extremely sensitive to copper. Yes. So copper poisoning is a real thing. And with sheep, they just store it in their liver. And then when they get stressed or they get sick, something like that, they release all of it. And the copper toxicity can kill them. So for sheep, the chelation therapy is molybdenum. So do you know what exactly the chelation therapy is for chickens? For chickens, I use calcium EDTA was the chelation that I use. How exactly the mechanism there works, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I do know it works. Okay. <laughs> it definitely works with those numbers coming down. Yeah, that's, yes, it. that's it really did. fantastic. And the thing is, too, it's always something, again, if this happens, it's something to keep on your radar because I think one of my chickens that had one of the higher levels had a relapse in the fall. And, of course, she's my favorite chicken. Of course. And I was convinced that because she actually, she had the crop issue. So okay. I did okay. crop surgery on her because it just wasn't emptying and she mm-hmm. was losing weight and mm-hmm. she was just acting lethargic. There's acute and chronic lead poisoning. Okay. So with Bombay, it was acute since I saw it so quickly. But this is Edgar Allan Poach's chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite chicken. She's a black Easter egger. Oh. <laughs> She felt like skin and bones. I really thought that she was going to die. And then I did her lead levels and they were still a little high. So I did another round of chelation therapy and now she's doing great. That's awesome. Yeah. That is and that's the thing. News. All 10 chickens that were exposed to this, they all just turned two a few weeks ago. So they all lived through this. And with timely treatment, prognosis is pretty good for this. Yes. And that's why I think it's so important to have it on your radar, because if we can identify it and diagnose it, treatment works really well. There's not a lot of things where you're like, okay, this is what's wrong. This will exactly. cure it, essentially. They can even have it in their systems for a long time Yes, and not even have issues. Yeah, exactly. You know, just the smallest thing. That's what we were saying about Gertie. She could have had that all along and then it just started showing Mm -hmm. the issues there. But just to be aware, if your home is older, you're on an older piece of land and you're like the fifth owner or fourth owner or whatever, you don't know what was there before. Well, in your case, get the soil checked. Your coop was built over top of what was a junk pile. Well, there could have been things in there. Well, this plot, this neighborhood was a farm. Right. And then it was chunked off in acreage. Mm -hmm. And 
the previous owner of this home used that back to yeah. put building supplies. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and who knows what was in that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why my brain went there. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, and that's scary. You're we like, cleaned oh my it gosh, up. Like, yeah. What am I going to do about this too? We cleaned it all out. We have two runs and three coops back there and it's beautiful now, but you never know. Right. And that's why it came to mind. I was like, this isn't getting better after months. The Tufts University article, the families in Boston that were having I read really, that one too. Really high lead levels in a lot of their chickens. What they ended up doing is they didn't let them free range anymore. They built a big run for them and they brought in 12 cubic yards of topsoil. Essentially, it was at least two feet we of were clean ta- topsoil. And we were talking about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. like, how much topsoil do you have to put down? Because chickens are going to dig. They found two feet to be the magic number. Two feet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I would lose my mind over this. I think I would bring an excavator. Yeah. I think I'd have like four <laughs> feet taken out. Bring me like eight feet of new soil. <laughs> or, you know what I'm saying, every two days, adding another foot on top. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and just keep kind of building up a whole mm-hmm. new. Because they dig so far down. They do. You definitely want to make sure they're not getting to it. For sure. No, trust me. I went through all of this panic when I was doing this. Of course, I think I had had the chickens for like six months. And I was oh, like, geez. I was like, I ruined my whole flock. I'm like never going to have like a healthy flock again. Because I wondered that too, is like, what if our soil is also contaminated? So did you have the soil uh, tested? I actually did not. We figured the most likely reason was obviously we found metallic products and yeah, our house for sure. Nothing had been built on that land yeah. since the mm-hmm. house, which was past 2000. Right? Yeah. So we did not end up doing that. However, something that also made me panic too was they do slowly pass the lead and metabolize it. And I assume it's in their droppings. So I always worried what if my future chickens are going to be exposed to this. And of course, no one has done that research. So there's no answer out there. Right, but right. I can tell you, I actually tested one of my new chickens that <laughs> came to our flock after this whole fiasco. Mm-hmm. I actually tested her levels recently and they came back not detectable. I can tell you with certainty now that if this does happen to your flock, you don't need to necessarily worry about your future chickens as long as you take care of whatever the source of it mm-hmm. Exactly. And it was the pellets yes. in your case. Yeah. So it wasn't the soil. So you took care of all of that stuff. Yeah. We're kind of cutting edge because there's not yeah. a lot out there about lead right now right. in chickens. I mean, I found the National Institute of Health study from 2013. There were two cases of lead poisoning in chicken, two cases of lead poisoning in cattle, but there wasn't a lot of information. I mean, it was kind of a bare bones study. And then we found the Tufts University article, and then we looked around, and no one else was really talking about this. Yeah. So when we brought it up to you about Gertie, and you were right on that. I know all about this. (laughs) Yeah. We were like, we have to talk to you about this on the show because I really think that people need to know about lead poisoning Mm -hmm. as an option. It could be this and you don't know it. Sometimes you're trying to figure it out and there's not a lot done on it. Right. And again, that's one of the reasons we urge you to have a relationship with a vet already because simply your chicken not looking well, being hunched and puffed. And there's no way you could know that she has a treatable condition if you don't have that blood test taken. For sure. And even x-rays aren't 100% either. Even Mm -hmm. if you just go to any clinic and just get an x-ray done, not all metal that's found in a chicken. Again, they eat all sorts of stuff. Oh, yes, they do. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's lead either. If I had a client bring me in a chicken that they had found metal stuff in the gizzard at the ER when they started their first and then came to me. And so we did, of course, a heavy metal panel. Unfortunately, it came back all negative, but you really have to have that blood test or you don't know. Right. And right. there's so many reasons why you should, not only for the chicken's health, but for your health too. That's a big thing. You're eating these eggs. Mm-hmm. You have to know what's inside the chicken. And if yeah. they're showing signs of something, 
check that box that it's not that's a neurotoxin in your chicken's eggs that's going into you. Yes. And it's not like the lead goes away. You're they ingesting can't accumulate. it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. they eat, you eat, basically. Right. When they ate a million cicada, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my chickens no. were so sad when the cicadas went away. They'd come out and they would be like, there's nothing here anymore. I think that kept Gertie going. She ate so she many did. cicadas. She, she was the great cicada hunter. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So let's talk about some fun stuff. Okay. Dr. Rebecca, tell us about your breeds. My breeds. Yeah. All right. Let's see if I can name them all. Okay. Um, my first flock of hens, who I still have all 10 of them. I have Easter Eggers. I have an Australorp. I have, I think it's a whiting true green. I had to like yeah. look that one up through her backyard chickens because I had no idea. It, she looks like a well summer, but she has white earlobes. And I was yes. like, I don't know what this is. Our Patreon episode is the whiting true blue. Oh, the really? Yeah. 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 All of our patrons can listen to the history of that chicken. Yes. yes. She's a great chicken. I love her. <laughs> I have the Sapphire Gems mm-hmm. and brown leghorns that were supposed to be wine dots, but they're brown leghorns. But, but that's a really nice <laughs> thing. <family, laughs> that's so. from Tractor Supply. I actually love the brown leghorns. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're great. great. They're great little foragers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're fantastic. We're so. big fans of the leghorns around here. Oh, yes. yes. They're definitely not wine dots. They're definitely <laughs> not wine dots. I sent my husband to go pick these up. So, Uh-oh. of course, like, he's at Aberdeen Tractor Supply. No one there knows what's, like, going on. So he just brings home these chickens. Although I will give him credit because they were actually straight run. They are both hens. So I, oh, lucky. I, I, I will give that to him. I have two Isa Browns, which I absolutely love them. I don't think I would get them again, though, because I'm afraid that their lifespan is probably... Right. We named them Pumpkin and Spice because when they were chicks, my husband said they look like perfect little pumpkin spice Aww. chicks. <laughs> Spice is one of my, like, nicest chickens. I don't know what I'm going to do when she starts to get sick. They're both doing great right now, Good. but it's so hard. You get so attached to them. Oh, yes. Those high so egg layers, they just don't live as long. No. And then okay. I also have a few buff Orpingtons, a lavender Orpington that I got from the mill. She is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I just picked up a California white and a blue laced red wine dot from Tractor Supply because I didn't have those yet. So okay. I wanted those. <laughs> <laughs> I have a silver lace wine dot. They're beautiful. They are beautiful. beautiful. She's a good chicken too. Mm-hmm. You are the perfect chicken vet, right? You really are. <laughs> you are because <laughs> you love chickens as much as we love chickens. And you don't get better vet for your chicken than someone who actually really loves chickens. Like you tell right away you love chickens. After a surgery, <laughs> I was sitting there and I was so nervous about the whole thing. And so you came out to show me video of the surgery when your text brought a Claire out for me to take her home. And you turned your phone around, and I was like, wait, is that a chicken case on your phone? We are in the right place. That's yeah. right. I actually started more with Paris and Wild Birds is where mm-hmm. I kind of got my initial experience. But then, of course, living here in Hartford County, a lot of people have back their chickens. Yeah. So they would yes. bring them to me. And a lot of my first cases, predator attacks, which are pretty straightforward. You can fix. What you're doing. Yep. Wound care and yes. antibiotics for the most part. So I didn't get a lot of those like more egg binding and egg yolk curtinitis and a lot of those more complicated yeah. cases mm-hmm. until a little bit later. But there was a, definitely a shift between when I was seeing them without my own chickens and now that I have my own, mm-hmm. I just feel like I can relate to what owners mm-hmm. are seeing. Yeah. I know what questions to ask too, because there's a lot of things you don't know about right. them unless you're taking care of them every day. You know what they're supposed to be doing in terms of just husbandry mm-hmm. and like what they can be eating and also just 
sometimes it's very easy to say like, here's my recommendations, like go try this and recognizing that sometimes that might not be realistic when right. you think about things. But so, just the chicken behavior. I mean, chicken behavior oh, yeah. is night and day different than say a parrot. It's parrot completely behavior. different. Yeah. And I have both. Right. I have a parrot and 19 chickens. So yeah, they're not the same at all. No. And what's so different about just chickens in general too versus the rest of veterinary medicine is Cats and dogs, a lot of times we're spaying and neutering them. Mm-hmm. And then chickens probably, I would say probably 80 to 90% of the cases we see are usually related to reproductive issues because right. we don't spay and neuter chickens. So right. Mm-hmm. Very, very complicated surgery. It's usually not worth trying. Right. But so we take care of kind of the aftermath. I love seeing chicken patients. I look forward to it. They are a companion, not just in the backyard livestock flock. They take our hearts We care for them. We love them. They're our family. And you understand it. Yes. Thank you for that. And you saved my chicken. I mean, chicken too. Gertie died on the table. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Rebecca resuscitated her back. And I know how resuscitation goes in birds. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Animals in general, it's very hard. She is a fighter. I could not believe it myself. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love that chicken. You might meet Sophia coming in. That's her chicken. Oh, is it? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it was an honor and a privilege. And I feel like I probably take for granted the things I'm able to do. I mean, you can't do these things at home. And sometimes you just, you have to recognize your limits sometimes as a chicken owner. So being able to be that person to help you with these problems and make your chicken better is truly invaluable. Even me as a vet tech, I will not do those things at home. They need to be there for some things. They need to have that care. It's so important. And people are so afraid that they're going to spend so much money at the vets. And you're not. Yeah, I would say in general, I definitely try to be very practical about the diagnostics I might recommend. There's always a balance in veterinary medicine, too. We can tell you all of the tests we can do, but ultimately it comes down to we can work with every budget you have most of the time. And I really do try to help normalize bringing your chicken to the vet. I feel like some people are almost embarrassed that they feel like they couldn't fix them themselves. And I feel like it's very unfair for a lot of chicken keepers to put that pressure on themselves because some of these are major problems that will not get better without appropriate prescription medications. Most of the antibiotics that are out there in the feed stores at this point probably have a lot of resistance with certain bacterias. And there's a lot of times two people are trying to figure out the withdrawal times and the dosage and how to give it. And it's like, look, I know all this stuff, Mm -hmm. and it's very easy for me to confidently tell you how to do it and give you an antibiotic I'm pretty sure it's going to work. Yes, and the dose and how long and everything that you need to know Mm -hmm. and not have to sit on the internet for 10 hours trying to figure out. I have to say chickens are very tough animals. I think Mm -hmm. most of the time if you give them a chance and get them the medical care that they need, a lot of times they pull through. But if you wait too long on it, I mean, every animal has its limits. Yeah, it never (laughs) fails to amaze me how resilient chickens are. If you had told me when I got started with chickens, it was almost impossible to find someone who treated chickens. But that was, you know, that's 20 years ago. And I know that I've lost chickens from crop issues that I couldn't correct myself. You couldn't even bar the door to keep me out of a a vet's office now. (laughs) If there's a serious problem with my chicken, she's going to the vet. Yeah, that's what we said. If it's something totally simple, like giving a dewormer or something, you can give. Absolutely. But you have to know when to pull the trigger. And we've talked about this in many episodes Mm -hmm. to go to the doctor. It's the same thing with yourself. You know when something's dire wrong, it's like, I need to see a doctor Yeah. versus taking DayQuil, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you got to know when to go to the doctor. And it's the same thing. 
they're in this category of in it's between. It's like a no man's land. It's a no, it chicken is a no man's land for it medical is. care. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And in general, when someone brings me a chicken in for an exam, I pretty much have like a flat exam fee of around $40. Yes. Yeah. I mean, for a veterinary exam, I think it's pretty reasonable. And to be honest, a lot of times, again, I can offer you diagnostics, but a physical exam for me as a chicken vet, I've really learned a lot of what just cues to take just by looking at them alone. And again, these are things, unless you have examined a ton of chickens, you're probably not going to pick mm-hmm. up unless exactly. you have the experience. Mm-hmm. A vent exam for me is always something I need to perform because sometimes that's the only way you can feel. I can tell you guys with certainty. I know a lot of people will say, oh, I can feel an egg in there. I still, even if I know an egg is in a chicken, I cannot feel it from the outside. You actually have to do an internal exam. The gizzard actually feels a lot like an egg to some people, if you don't know what you're feeling. Okay. I could tell you Gertie was not happy with that exam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't love it, but unfortunately came, it is a necessity. <laughs> she came home and angry ate after that exam. <laughs> Holly and I were together. We were laughing ourselves silly. She was angry. She was throwing food everywhere. <laughs> like, oh my God, but this happened to me. Well, I love a feisty chicken, so... <laughs> Most of the time, even if, again, if we talk about diagnostics we can do, you can always decline those. I mean, most of the time, based mm-hmm. on my physical exam alone, we can at least start with some kind of medication. Exactly. And most of the medications for a chicken, they're probably going to be about $15, $20. Yeah. They're not, it's not crazy. And you're going to pay gonna that. You're probably going to spend more at the feed store just trying yes. to figure out what you're supposed to get and then have it not work. Exactly. We have done that. You throw so much money at a problem and you can't figure it out. And yeah, we've talked about that many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is what we talked about in Crops 101. If you suspect sauerkraut, go to the vet, have an exam, and get the proper medication mm-hmm. straight off. Mm-hmm. It's going to be it's so gonna much save better. you time and heartache and so many other things. Well, yeah. the chicken will probably do better, too, because the longer mm-hmm. an illness goes on, obviously, the weaker they're going to get. Exactly. And if you're using inappropriate antibiotics and stuff like that, you can actually make things more resistant and make them harder right. to treat later as well. Right. But it's been so fun having you at our table. Yeah. And I've told you guys before, I could talk about chickens for hours. <laughs> I just feel like it's such a good thing that we put out there about the lead poisoning. Mm-hmm. Now that it was made a present to us, then we want to put it out to everybody else and give everybody a step up. Something's not right. This is another box check off. Yeah. And it's not to like scare everyone that something's going on, but it is something that is worthwhile checking, especially if you meet the criteria if your home right. is older or you're living on a plot like that. Yes. I think urban chicken keepers could run into that, you know, depending sure. on the age of the city. Again, we talked about that article from Tufts about Boston. And in our research, we also found that Australia and New Zealand are yes, starting to have a lot of problems. There too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And our guess there is that there was so much building in the 20th century in mm-hmm. both of those countries that they're just starting to see the lead now. I think it's something that people are going to become more and more aware of. And we're, we're probably going to start seeing it more in, say, veterinary journals, things like that. Yes, because this a lot of the studies out there are not very current, and mm-hmm. some of them aren't that useful either. I mean, right. when I was looking for mine, I also wanted to know, has anyone done a study of lead blood level? How does that translate to an egg? And there actually mm-hmm. is a study out there. I don't remember how old it is, but I feel like there is more studies that could be done. A lot of lead is deposited in the yolk and the shell, and actually okay. the egg weight almost has none. So. Oh. The egg weight sounds like it's pretty much always going to be safe. I don't think they deposit a lot of things from oh, that's interesting. their system. Yeah, I thought that okay. was interesting. So too. here, this is another question then. If you are unaware and you have a broody hen and you're hatching eggs, is that chick born? Oh, that is a really good question. Poisoning Excellent question. If no. it's all in the yolk. Right. That's a really good question. And I actually wonder that myself because I had a broody hen this summer and actually one of Bombay's eggs was fertilized and she was sitting on it. 
And the chick I actually found dead the day it hatched. So oh, I, wow. I, I don't know. I didn't test it or anything like that. But yeah. I okay. was like very curious about that. Myself. Yeah, but, for sure. I mean, definitely. Be, we'll keep an eye on that and see if we can track any studies or new information that comes out. I want to put this out there. If anybody has a question that they would like to email us for sure. Dr. Rebecca, for sure, we can have her back again if you're willing to come back again and maybe answer some questions, but we need the questions in advance right? so that we can give them to you and maybe do a little question and answer. Yeah, I would love to do a Q&A. I will say a caveat is if you give me a list of symptoms, a lot of times I can't really give you an exactly. answer. Right? And I can't really give like treatment recommendations for an animal I haven't mm-hmm. examined. But exactly. certainly general questions I am more than General chicken care. Yeah, so you can email us. Chrissy and Holly at coffeewiththechickenladies.com. You can send us messages on Facebook, on Instagram. We'll put all the questions together and we will have Dr. Rebecca back on. We want to thank her again yeah, very much. Yeah, thank, no, you. thank you guys for having me. Like I said, thank I feel you, like you. it's really a privilege that I get to take one of my most favorite hobbies and actually incorporate it into my career is really a That's amazing. Thing. Well, thank this. you so much. And we are going to look forward to having you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Okay. So now it's time. Crack those eggs. Cracking those eggs. So today for cracking the eggs, we went simple but one that's a little different. It's a, I mean, it's a little fussy in that there are a couple steps, but the dish itself is pretty simple. Yeah. Okay. So we went with fried green tomatoes. Yay. There are a couple of reasons we chose this dish. The first is that we should be coming up on first frost in a few weeks. You got to get those tomatoes off. Right. Tomatoes then. off the vine. Right. It depends on the tomato variety. There have been some I've harvested and they've actually reddened off the vine. Some do. But some of the other ones, no. No. And those are the tomatoes that will enjoy exactly. this recipe. <laughs> You do want a tomato that's completely green, has not ripened at all. You're going to cut it in fairly thick slices, and then you're going to salt it a bit. Because that's that, going to draw some of that moisture it, out. Right. It. it draws out the extra moisture so it fries better. Because you don't want your tomato to be extra watery. It gets soggy. So again, use a firm, unripe tomato. Green tomatoes only. Eggs are not the star of this dish, but they are really crucial to the delicious breading. Yes. Some of the recipes that we bring to you, eggs aren't going to be the shining star. Right. We're kind of giving you two versions. There's the classic deep fried recipe. Yes. And then there's the oven fried, which is my preference. I usually oven fry everything. Mm -hmm. Now, we have an air fryer. I don't have a ton of experience with it yet. Okay. I have to start using it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It might work well. I don't have any experience with the air fryer either, but the oven is my best friend. I like the oven. So you're going to take your tomato slices, blot that moisture off from the salt, preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Okay. Then you're going to set up three bowls. The first bowl has your cornstarch. The second bowl is a mixture of egg and buttermilk. Right. Now, if you are gluten and dairy free, you can use non-dairy milk that you've added a little lemon juice to. Right. Let it sit for 10 minutes and it turns into buttermilk essentially. Your last bowl is a mixture of cornmeal and flour and whatever spices you want. Right. So if you like it a little spicy, you can put some Old Bay in there. Yes. Or you could go with something like dill. Right. You could make it Italian style and put some basil and oregano in there. You dredge the tomato in the cornstarch, you dip it in the egg and buttermilk, and then you dredge it through the cornmeal and flour mixture. And then you put it on your cookie sheet mm-hmm. that's lined, right? or your air fryer, or your oil on the yeah. stove top. Yeah. Many ways that you can fry it. I actually like this one, my silp hats on my cookie sheets, because I feel like that's the least messy way to do oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, but you bake it for about 10 minutes, flip them over, put them back in for another 10 minutes. Voila, you have beautiful baked fried green tomatoes. tomatoes. If you're frying them in a deep fryer, don't put too many in at one time. You want maybe two or three in your skillet. Well, because you don't want everything touching because then it sticks. 
Then you fry it for about three or four minutes per side. Sounds good. Take and them out, drain them. It's a great side dish. It's a great breakfast. Hey, if you want to get even more eggy, make a fried egg, put it on top of the fried green tomato. You could. Tomato. You could. I mean, Actually, I saw where people made a burger that way. Yeah. They would use the, the fried green tomato egg on top, put it on a, on a bun. Yeah. It looked really I mean, good so once you have this foundation recipe, then at that point, you can serve it up however you want to. You can also freeze these for later use. Yeah. What I would do is I would bake them, cool them, and I would probably put layers of wax paper between them. Oh, yeah. Wrap them up and put them in the freezer. Flash freeze them first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything with vegetables or fruits, flash freeze first for 15 minutes, then put back in for a long freeze so they don't stick. So they're wrapped up right. I'm not sure that Pete will go for this, but I wondered if I could do this and use the fried green tomatoes as the main dish for our Thanksgiving feast. Sounds good. I don't know. He might not go for it. As long as there's mashed potatoes and stuffing, he's fine. I was going to say you could do a mushroom cap with it. You could, actually. You and that would make it cap. heartier mm -hmm. for like a Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah, that would be good. With like a mushroom gravy over top. I do mushroom gravy, actually. I quadrupled my mushroom gravy recipe last year. Oh, man. And that wasn't even close to enough for the man. Wow. He's a mushroom eater and he loves gravy. So he would eat that with the fried green tomato. He probably would. Yeah. Or he would just eat the mushroom. Yeah, and leave the fried green and tomatoes for me. That's fine. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so make these recipes. Show us your pictures. Mm -hmm. Try them. Um, have fun with it. Yeah. And now we're going to move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. This week's retail therapy. We're going to go with what chicken ladies would like. Right. And what's useful to the chicken lady. So we went with vintage egg baskets. Yes. And we like these. And every time we're out in the wild, mm -hmm. we see one, we get it. Yeah. They really make a wonderful collection because they're practical. They are. And I love them. I have one that's a wire. It looks like a chicken. Mm-hmm. That I absolutely love. That's a really popular design. Most of these vintage egg baskets, you can find a new version of the old ones. Oh, yeah. Say for in your sure. feed store and tractor supply or something like they that. They always have that one that looks like a chicken, basically, yes. in the feed store. That one's it's around like the a mill. lot. Mm -hmm. I actually found the one I bought at a thrift store. Perfect. Paid $3 for yeah, it. Yeah, that's perfect. It's great for photos. It's great for the eggs. Now, I find like I have to put something on the bottom. Here's the other thing that just to think of with egg baskets and using them. Put something soft on the bottom so your eggs don't rattle because they can well, break. It just so happens that as I was researching these, there were a couple things about doing the research for the egg basket that was frustrating. The first is that there really aren't any places that give you a solid value. Yeah. So, you know, I, I looked at some of the sources I generally look for for antique values, that yeah. sort of thing. I did not find any hard and fast values for egg baskets. So you're collecting them just because you love them. Exactly. And it's not going to be for a retail, resale kind of thing. Right. And and they do come in a few different types of materials. So the wire, which is what we're going to focus on. Yeah. You also see ones that are woven wicker. Yeah. And you have a ceramic one. I have a ceramic one that I love that actually I use okay. all the time that I bought. Again. Is it heavy? It's a little heavier. Yeah. Okay. It's basically a ceramic bowl with a handle. Okay. It's definitely an egg basket. I remember it. print has pens all around Right. It. You have to be careful with egg baskets, though. That's what I just keep saying because the eggs can rattle. Well, that's where I was going. So I've read this fantastic thing about wire egg baskets. It's, it's an article that I will link to. And in the article, the author explains why wire egg baskets were the ideal. Okay. And there are two or three reasons. The first is that the openness gives warm eggs a chance to cool off. The other is that the grooves in the wire actually hold the eggs in place so they don't roll around very much in a wire basket. False. 
Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> they do. Uh, mine don't. Mine do. Okay. I feel like it has to do with the number of how many you have in there. That's entirely possible. If you have two in there, yeah, yeah. yeah. I usually have thirteen plus. So, like in mine, I'd say I have like eight or nine. Okay, and they do rattle. Maybe your egg placement isn't on point. Man, <laughs> I don't know about these wires that are supposed to be grooving them all in. I mean, yeah, mine actually does hold them pretty still. So when you walk, they're not turning out. Uh-uh, no. What kind of wire basket do you have? You have a flat bottom that spirals up, gets skinnier in the bottom. and Both of my egg baskets are skinnier on the bottom. So there's a difference. Okay. Mine, it's shaped like the hen. So the bottom is very wide. So cute, but maybe not as practical. That's a good one to leave in the kitchen. The other thing I found, which I thought was amazing, is collapsible wire baskets. Okay. So talk about space saving. Yeah, space saver. If you give me a basket, I'm going to fill it. There's no doubt. With eggs or something else. So the collapsible ones, you know, have an advantage. You can have a little stack for them. And when you go to grab the eggs, you just grab one of them. You grab one and you go out. Now that I have almost 20 chickens, I do need something to carry the eggs. Right. If I don't have the girls with me. There's a lot of hand-sewn, hand-knitted, hand-crocheted egg aprons out there. Oh, yeah. But I'm a klutz. And it's just not a good thing for me. No. With the apron, the thing it gets me is you're putting the chickens in at night. Yes. Say that's when you get your eggs out. Right. Right. You're bending into a coop. Exactly. And then boom. Yep. And yep. then you got to clean the apron because yeah. the egg broke in the pocket. They're super cute and they make great photos, but I yeah. just don't find them that practical. Yeah. Other people may, and that's yeah. great. No, I like them. I like the look. I just, I have messed up a few eggs with them. <laughs> yeah. But I do love egg baskets. Anytime I see a good egg basket, I'm Grab going it. to buy it. Now, Ellen from Fab Four Hens, uh-huh. we talked about we're brewing the coffee she gave us. That's amazing coffee. If you want to check out really cool egg basket, go to her Instagram, Fab Four Hens. Oh, that's right. She has that adorable one. Oh, my gosh. Son brought her. Yeah. It's the wildest looking yes. egg basket I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really fabulous. I love it. It is. It is. And her fa- It's a rooster, isn't it? Her son found it at a thrift store for yeah. her. And when she put that up, I was like, oh, my God. I, know, I love it. If you have more than, let's say, four or five hens, uh-huh. you need something to carry the eggs. Oh, yeah. You can use a t-shirt or shirt tails, but at a certain point, pockets. Don't do it. I've done it. Don't do it. I know it happens. I've broken so many eggs in my pockets. I've done a couple. The article that I'm going to link to, which talks about the function of the wire baskets, there's a photograph in that article of a collection of egg baskets hanging from the ceiling. That's awesome. It's really cute. So yeah, if you have a chance, go to the show notes and check out that That article. That would be really cute for sure. If you have any unusual egg baskets, show us. Yes, we would love to see it. Send us pictures. Give us a story with a egg basket. We would love to see them. We'll put them on our storyboard. You can't be a chicken lady without a basket. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a big wide bottom basket, right. just don't, you know, sing and skip with your basket. It'll be all right. <laughs> I mean, you can, but <laughs> be ready for some cleanup. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're visiting the UK. We are going to profile the beautiful Marsh Daisy Chicken. Ooh. We're going to interview Libby of Henleys in the UK. Yeah, I can't wait. Cracking the Eggs is Scotch Eggs, which is essentially hard-boiled eggs wrapped in sausage, and we are going to do a vegetarian version as well. I can't wait for Mm -hmm. that one. Retail therapy is going to be part of the main topic when we interview Libby from Henleys, and we're going to talk about her prefab plastic coops and chicken health tonics. And when you see these coops, you're going to go crazy for these coops. You're going to know why we have gone crazy. We are over the moon for these coops. Okay. So, what should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chicken every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. Bye. 
if you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at coffee with the chicken ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.